You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. One of the most traumatic experiences of my life came my senior year of college. I was taking the weekends to drive up from Springfield, Missouri to Topeka, Kansas to be uh, help out my brother with his youth. So I'd go up on Friday after school and spend the weekend there, and then I'd drive back on Sunday evening and go to school the rest of the week in Springfield. Well, one Sunday night I was driving back and my brother called me uh, on my cell phone, which was weird to have a cell phone at that time. He called me on my cell phone and through his tears, he says, mom and dad have been in a wreck and mom is going to the hospital in Grapevine, but they had to light flight my dad uh, to Fort Worth, Texas, because they don't know if dad's going to make it. And I remember turning my car around in Kansas City here, my Mazda B2300 truck, heading back to Topeka to jump in the car with my brother so we could drive to Texas. And, And I remember between Kansas City and Topeka, man, I just wept. At one point, it was like, I'm going to have to pull over because I just can't see the road. And I was just begging God to to save my dad's life. Get with my brother. We drive overnight to Texas and... We get to Fort Worth and the hospital there, and we go into my dad, and of course he's in ICU, and, and we go in there, and only one, we can only one person go in at a time, and so I go in, and I see my dad with dried blood everywhere, things coming out of his body all over the place, and it was like a, a terrifying sight, because my dad's the kind of guy that never missed a day of work, uh, he never was really sick or hurt. I remember that his employer said, we knew something was wrong when dad wasn't at his cubicle at 7 a.m. Monday morning, like something must have been terribly wrong. And I remember going in and seeing my dad and just shocked by what I saw. And I remember just trying to hold it together and walking out in the hallway and just sitting down on the ground and just weeping in my hands. And I remember a little bit later, a nurse came out and, you know, I'm crying like a baby on the ground outside of my dad's hospital room there. And she comes and she gets down on her knees and she she puts her arm around me and she says, Steve, I, I want you to know that your dad looks really bad, but your dad's going to be okay. I know there's a lot of blood and, and all these things coming out of him, all these different, uh, pi, uh, di- different uh, uh, medical things going on with him, but but I want you to know He's going to be okay. There was nothing like that nurse reassuring me that my dad was going to be okay. From from that moment on, it's like, we got this, right? And Romans 8 is assurance for the Christian life. Romans 8 is that nurse that puts his arm, put her arm around my shoulders and said, everything is going to be okay. Romans 8 begins with this idea that there's no condemnation for those 
that are in Christ Jesus. And it ends in Romans 8.39 with there's no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And everything in between is just reassuring us of our relationship with Christ. Everything in between is, is God just putting his arm around our shoulder and saying, I've got you. It's going to be okay. As we've been working through Romans 8, we come today to Romans 8, 14 through 25. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me there to Romans 8, 14 through 25. We're going to read it together. And so I would invite you to to stand wherever you're at. I know you may have on your jammies, and I know you may have on a uh, blanket over you, but go ahead and take that off and just take a minute and stand with me and let's read God's Word together. I want you to read it out loud as I, as I read it out loud here as well. There's a couple of things I want to note before we read together out loud. Six times in these verses, Paul is going to use familial terms to refer to us as Christians. Three times he's going to call us sons of God, or use the term sons. Three times he's going to talk about us being children of God, or use the term children. So six times in these section, this section of scripture, Paul is referring to us in familial terms. So this whole idea of being a child of God is, is wrapped in these verses. And what he wants us to understand is this, as a child of God, I have no fear of abandonment. That's going to be verses 14 through 17. As a child of God, I have no fear of abandonment. And then he's going to also want us to know, as a child of God, I have no despair in suffering, verses 18 through 25. It's all wrapped up in us being a child of God. It's that nurse putting the arm around the shoulder and saying, everything is going to be okay. As a child of God, I have no fear of abandonment and I have no despair in suffering. So let's read God's word together. Romans chapter 8, we're going to read verses 14 through 25. Read with me. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified. With him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Father, we ask today that you would bless the reading of your word on our ears. And now as we study your word, I pray that the truth of your word would sink down into our hearts. And that it would produce fruit this week in our lives that would reflect you well to the world around us. I pray for that one who is watching today that has not put their faith and trust in you. They're not a child of God. I pray that today, Lord, would be that day for them, that they would say yes to you, that they would receive you, that they would be adopted into the family of God today and forever their life would be changed. Would you do a great work today through your word in Jesus' name? Amen. Paul begins here in verses 14 and 17, reminding us that as a child of God, I have no fear of abandonment. Look at verse 14. He says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now, we hear this term led and we think of the idea of guidance. But what Paul is doing here is he's referring back to what Pastor Bob talked about last week in regards to the Holy Spirit. That to be led by the Spirit is actually not a guidance idea, but to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So to be led by the Spirit is to to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates. Evidence of us being sons of God are that we live according to the Spirit. He says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Paul is saying, when you became a son of God, you did not get this spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What is Paul referring to in this idea of a spirit of slavery? Well, he talks about it in Galatians chapter 4. To the Galatian believers, he says this in Galatians 4, 9. But now that you have come to know God, and I like Paul corrects himself and says, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? That's this idea of trying to earn God's favor, whose slaves you want to be once more. He's like, why would you go back to what you were before, trying to earn God's favor So that God wouldn't abandon you. If I do all these right things, if I buy into legalism and and religion, then God's not going to abandon me. And Paul is saying, "This this is not what you received. This is not the spirit that you received when you became a child of God. You're not to fear abandonment. Why? Because look at the rest of verse 15. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Adoption is a great picture of salvation. It's a great word that Paul chooses to use here to refer to us becoming followers of Jesus Christ or becoming children of God. 
Now, my, my middle brother, he has adopted three boys, and adoption for him was a process of fostering them for a couple of years, and the back and forth of, are we going to keep them? Is their mom who was in jail, is she, she going to take them back? And then an uncle came into the picture, and so there was this turmoil back and forth for several years, and then finally, a few years ago, he was able to adopt them as his own. It was a beautiful picture. But adoption in the first century was a little bit different. Typically, adoption in the first century was not uh, children that needed a home. Typically, adoption in the first century was about the adult that didn't have someone to give their estate to. And so what this adult would do is they would go out and adopt someone so that they could give their estate to them when they die. It was usually someone very wealthy. Because there was four things that would have to happen in order for this adoption to happen. First thing that would have to happen is that the the one adopting would have to pay off all the debt. Anything legal that that, that person they were adopting had, they would have to pay off all of their debt. Second, they when they would adopt them, that person would get a new name. And he would immediately become the heir apparent to the estate. Everything that the one adopting had became the one adopted would get. Three, the third thing that would happen is that the one adopting, the father, would be liable for the actions of the one that they were adopting. So anything that that son, that adult, or that child would do, the the, the father would be liable for that. And, and then the, the fourth thing that would happen is that the one being adopted would be obligated to honor and to please the one that was adopting them. As you think about these, I, these things that would happen in adoption, it should lead our heart into our mind to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has adopted us into the family, that he has paid all of our debt. All of our legal obligations have been taken care of by God through Jesus Christ. You know what we refer to this as? What scripture refers to it as? Justification. Being declared righteous. And isn't it beautiful as well that he gives us a new name? And we immediately are instantly uh, given the inheritance or or are bound for the inheritance we will receive. I love this idea of a new name because I think about Ephesians chapter 2 when it says, We were once children of wrath. We were once children of darkness. And because of being adopted into God's family, now we are children of God. Now we are children of light. Is this not great news For us today, we have been adopted into the family of God. It makes sense why Paul would say in Ephesians 4.1 to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel because we have this new obligation that our life matters in light of the one who adopted us. And so we want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you understand what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ by adopting us into his family, why do you think he would abandon you? 
Why do you think he would walk out on you? He won't. He's adopted us into his family. And he's not just given us a status. But look at what it says in Romans 8. In the rest of verse 15, he says, Not only are we adopted as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So as not only has he given us a status as sons and daughters of God, but he's also given us a heart of a son or a daughter so that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, a, a, a term of endearment, of love, of relationship. This is a great gift that God has given us. And how do we know We're adopted, look at verse 16, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit affirms in us that we have been adopted into the family of God. I think of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, when he says, In Jesus you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit affirms in us our adoption, that we are a part of the family of God. Therefore, we have no fear of abandonment. Imagine with me if you lived your Christian life with that idea of no fear of abandonment. What if you lived your Christian life from assurance of your relationship with God rather than for assurance of your relationship with God? Uh, Think about it in this way. What if you lived your Christian life as a son of God and not an employee of God? You see, an employee works to keep their job. A son works because he just loves his father and wants to please his father. There's a big difference. As a pastor, just to be honest with you, sometimes it's easy to fall into that mindset of being an employee of God. So even today as I speak to you, it feels, it can feel like work. Like, I've got to do this just right and because I, I want God to be pleased with me. and I want to earn his favor rather than standing before you today and speaking as a son of God. And knowing that this is not for assurance of my relationship with God. That I'm speaking to you today from assurance of my relationship with God. That I get to do this as a way to please my heavenly father. If we have that mindset, it changes how we view our Christian life. And Paul says, as a child of God, I want you to know there is no fear of abandonment. It is all by God's grace. It is something that we have received from God. What a great gift we have. Verse 17 transitions us to the second part of what Paul is talking about here as he's giving us assurance in our relationship with God. Verse 17, he says, and if children, then heirs, and if heirs... Uh, of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul is continuing this thinking of a children of God. And he says, if you're children of God, you're heirs, you're going to get what God has promised. And we 
understand the promise of glory, to understand that everything in Jesus Christ we have as well. But, but Paul throws a curveball in here when he says this, if you're going to be heirs of the glory, you're also going to be heirs of suffering. Look at what he says in verse 18. Paul continues to understand this idea and say this as, as a child of God, I, I have no despair in suffering because suffering's a part of the plan too. And so he says in verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul uses this word consider, which is like a scale. And so he says, throw all of your suffering into one side of the scale. Whatever you can think of when you think of the term suffering, anxiety, cancer, pain, hurt, Tears, right? Throw all of your suffering into one side. And Paul says, when I throw that in and then I throw in glory, it totally doesn't measure up. Glory outweighs any present suffering that we're in. You see, as children of God, we are going to suffer. Peter helps us understand this in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, when he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Paul says we're going to share in his, Peter says we're going to share in his glory, we're also going to share in his suffering. And Paul says as we share in this suffering, it doesn't compare to the glory that we're going to receive. Now, Paul's not making light of our suffering. Of, Of everyone, of anybody that's ever lived, Paul understood suffering. You can go to 2 Corinthians and he lists out for you some of the suffering that he went through. Paul understands suffering, but what he's wanting us to do is have this aerial view of our suffering. He's wanting us to see the big picture. He's wanting us to step out of our present sufferings and see the future glory that is coming. And so he does this by pointing to creation groaning and to us as Christians groaning. Look with me at verse 19 and following. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. This is the glory of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. That word futility is the same word that they use in Ecclesiastes that Solomon uses for meaninglessness. It was subjected to this meaninglessness, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul is saying creation itself is groaning or longing for the day when it will be glorified. You see, when we sinned in the Garden of Eden, and you can go read this in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3, we sinned, and when we sinned, the earth was affected as well. Creation was affected as well. Creation is not as it should be. It wasn't created to have a winter, right? 
It was created to be beautiful all of the time. The earth was created not to have tornadoes, not to have earthquakes, not to have tsunamis. It was created perfectly, but because of sin, it is affected. It doesn't work as God intended it to work. And so we long, creation longs for the day when we will be glorified. So in return, it will be back to what it was created like in the Garden of Eden. That it is groaning like a mom groans in childbirth. Now, obviously, I have no idea what that means to groan in childbirth. But I have been blessed to watch my wife go through that three times. And as I would watch her go through that, especially towards the end of her child-bearing days, there was a lot of groaning. There was a lot of not getting comfortable, if you know what I'm saying, ladies, right? There was a lot of turning back and forth at night, not getting much sleep, trying to push the kids out of her ribs, right? There, there was a lot of that going on. And, and as, as the labor pains began to come, there was a lot of groaning. But it wasn't a groaning of, I'm angry. It was a groaning of, I'm anticipating the birth of my child. It was a hopeful, it was an eager Groaning, And this is what he's saying. Creation is groaning in that way that it is looking for the day when it will be back to what God created it to be. He goes on and says, and not only does creation groan, but we ourselves, followers of Jesus Christ, we we groan. Who have, he says in verse 23, the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, this does not mean that we only got a little bit of the Holy Spirit and someday we'll have the whole Holy Spirit. What Paul is using here is an agricultural term that we have all of the Spirit, but there's a greater harvest coming someday when the Spirit will have all the freedom. There'll be no struggle with the flesh and the spirit. It will have complete freedom. There's a greater harvest coming. It's that idea of anticipating the greater harvest. And he says, not only creation, but we ourselves, the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as son, the completion of our adoption, the inheritance, the redemption of our bodies as well. When we won't get cancer anymore. When there won't be tears anymore, when there won't be broken bones anymore, right? We long for the redemption of our bodies. And I love that he uses this term wait eagerly because the first century audience, as they would read that term, and he even used the term back in verse 19 of eagerly longing creation. This was the picture of a city that would be looking to the horizon for their king to come. Because when the king would come, he would make everything right. It makes sense then why Jesus in Matthew 6 in the Lord's prayer would call us to pray what? Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As creation looks for that day, so too we as followers of Jesus look for that day when the king will come and make everything Right. Verse 24 and 25, Paul ends by saying, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. I love Paul's obvious statement there, right? For who hopes for what he sees? You're not hoping for it if it's right in front of your eyes. But verse 25 says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Patience. 
horizons. We look to the horizon. As we suffer, we don't despair because our eyes are on the horizons. We know that future glory far outweighs our present sufferings. Paul has already talked about this hope in Romans chapter 5, if you'll remember, in verses 3 through 5. When he says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What a weird thing to say. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. The Holy Spirit is giving us this hope to keep our eyes on the horizon, to keep our eyes as we go through suffering, to not lose heart, to keep our eyes up as we suffer. I'm the youngest of three boys in, in our family. And I, to be honest with you, I was a mistake. My middle brother is seven years older than I am. So I was I was an unplanned pregnancy that my parents had. So maybe mistakes is a strong word, but, but I was definitely unplanned seven years later. I was the best unplanned thing that ever happened in their life. Um, but I, so obviously there was a big difference between me and my middle brother. I'm 11, he's 18 and he's heading off to college and John was a great brother to me. Uh, he really helped me just mature. And I remember right before he's leaving to go off to college that he sat down with me and we got a whiteboard and he was like, here's the things you need to do every day, Steve. And I, for some reason, I remember this. He was like, you need to brush your teeth every day. You need to take a shower every day. You need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. He, he had this long list of things that he was just trying as a bigger brother to help me be prepared for the future. And so he's do, do all these things. And so when he left to go to college in Chicago area, it was a big, uh, just a big loss in my life. And I remember when he left and just a lot of tears, a lot of crying. And then this was, and I know this is going to blow some of your minds, but this was days before cell phones, right? So when somebody would go off to college, like my brother, he would call maybe from his dorm room and let us know, hey, I'm leaving to come home. And, and you just sort of would do the calculations. If it's 10 hours, you know, he should be leaving at 1 o'clock. He, he should be home around 11 o'clock. And so that's how it worked. You didn't have a cell phone to call every so often. Hey, I'm here. And, or I can find his iPhone, right? That, you didn't have that back in the day. And so I remember as his little brother that I would not go to sleep when he would come home because I would stand at my window and I would stare out my window looking up the street for my brother to pull around the corner. And I remember in those moments when maybe the time wasn't working out, there would be a groaning in me. Like, I wonder if if John's okay. I hope he didn't get a wreck or, you know, it's college students, so I hope he didn't fall asleep driving. And I remember just as a kid, just leaning my head on the window and just watching up to the corner to see my brother's truck come around the corner so I could run out of my room and run down and see him, be the first one to see him and hug him. As children of God, this is how we do not despair in our suffering is we look to the corner to look for the glory of God to be coming around the corner. You see, the danger 
is this. In suffering, what the devil wants you to do is close the curtains and just wallow in your suffering. The devil doesn't want you to have the curtains open and be looking out. The devil wants you to be focused on your suffering. And Paul says, listen, let's not focus on the present suffering. Let's focus on the future glory. Let's not despair in our sufferings because we know what is coming around the corner. And so listen, I know as we wait, I know as we wait that we suffer. I know as we wait, it means that for some you have cancer. I know as we wait, for some, it means that, that you got punched in the gut this week with a circumstance or a situation or a conversation. It, it may mean for some, as you wait, as you look to the corner, as you look for the glory of God, as you look for that glorifying day. I know for some of you that means you lost your job this week as we wait. But can I tell you this? As we wait, the best is yet to come. The future glory far outweighs our present suffering. As a child of God, I have no fear of abandonment. Why? Because I've been adopted into the family of God. As a child of God, I have no despair in suffering. Why? Because future glory far outweighs our present suffering. So this text begs us to ask this question, are you a child of God? Has there been a moment that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? John 1.12 says this, To all who received him, who believed in his name, that's Jesus, They became children of God, not of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but of the will of God. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? Have you been adopted into the family of God? Listen, as you listen to this message today, if you're not a child of God, you have reason to fear. You have reason to despair, but if you, when you become a child of God, you have no fear of abandon. You have no despair in suffering. Why? Because you've been adopted into the family of God. You're a child of God. I would love to invite you right where you're at to say yes to Jesus. In the comments section of whatever media outlet you're watching on, you will find a link that can you can know more about how to know God, how to become a child of God. And if you have become a child of God, there will be a link for you as well to let us know that you trusted Jesus so we can get you some more materials and talk to you about what it means to be a child of God. And if you are a child of God, I would ask you this question. With what mindset are you living your Christian life? Have you fallen back into the slavery of performance? Of trying to earn God's favor? Are you acting like an employee rather than a son or a daughter of God? If you have, I would encourage you, confess that to God. And ask God to help you to live from your relationship with God, not for your relationship with God. And if you're a child of God and you're suffering, you're going through a difficult season of life, I just want to remind you 
to open the curtains and to look to the corner that the future glory far outweighs your present suffering. Creation points us to that. And even we ourselves, as we look for adoption of God, the redemption of our bodies, we look to the corner for that glory to come, for Jesus to come. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone that has not put your faith and trust in you as they watch this message, that today would be the day they would say yes to you. Give them the courage to click on that link and to let us know. Give them the courage to reach out to a friend or or a brother or sister in Christ that they know to share that with. For those of us that are children of God, Lord, give us the, the courage, the strength to live not as employees of God, but as sons and daughters of God. For those, Lord, that find themselves in the midst of suffering, I would ask that you would give them as Paul, the perspective to consider their present sufferings not worth comparing to what is on the horizon, what is just around the corner. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.